Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 32 this morning. Matthew chapter 5, 27 through 32. Adultery, lust, marriage, and divorce. Easy topics. <laughs> Easy topics. No problem. No controversy whatsoever. While you're making your way to Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 32, uh, just wanted to say uh, how many of you were able to attend uh, Gill's memorial this, this past Wednesday night. That was awesome. What a tribute to an awesome man. We love you, Angie and love your husband. So God is good. He was glorified and man, just to see what God would do through a person who has submitted themselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and who lives their life out that way. It was just absolutely a fascinating testimony and just uh, God was glorified. So it was a joy to be there. Matthew chapter five, 27 through 32. I'll just read 27 and 28 right now. It says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully uh, with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now we're continuing our study through the sermon on the Mount, which is contained in Matthew's chapter five through seven. And so we're kind of slowing down here in the first part of it. We will speed up as we go. Uh, but these are really critical teachings about the kingdom and about how God views righteousness and sin. And in verses 17 through 48 of chapter five, Jesus is teaching his disciples and us by them about the righteousness that God requires to enter into the kingdom of heaven, the righteousness that God requires to enter the kingdom of heaven, a righteousness that he says in verse cha- in verse 20 of chapter five, he says it must exceed that of the, of the scribes and the Pharisees who were the, spiritual elites of the day. And then to make it worse, he sums up everything he's teaching in chapter five, verse 48. After giving us six examples of God's righteous requirements, he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Yay. (laughs) So, so God requires a righteousness that is perfect, a perfect righteousness, both in our hearts and in our actions. That's the standard. And he warns the disciples, don't you dare lower the standard. That's the standard. It stays. Anyone who does is going to be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Don't, don't mess with it. And what Jesus is driving home here in verses 17 through 48 is that perfect standard. The scribes and the Pharisees had taken God's laws. He had taken and they'd emphasized the keeping of the external requirements of the law. Hey, I didn't murder. I didn't commit adultery. Therefore I'm righteous before God. How many of us are list keepers and have checked off lists and things you didn't do and you feel good about yourself. Well, there's a certain, you know, that's, that can be good in a certain way, but when it comes to God, it's worse than you think. That's why I've entitled these messages. It's worse than you think. What he requires is more than what is meets the eye. The Pharisees had put that emphasis on the outward part. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. And so they were going, yay. But God not only requires righteous acts, but he requires righteous motives and righteous attitudes, a good tree bearing good fruit. And again, we know that Jesus is driving home the fact that the religious leaders, again, were, who were revered in Israel did not have that righteousness that God required, but rather they were actually hypocrites for what was going on outside. Wasn't what was going on inside. 
And God requires both. And we also know from his teachings, from Jesus' teaching that mankind, no matter how well-intentioned we all are, we fall short. We don't have that righteousness that is required. The righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, a perfect righteousness in what we do and why we do what we do. Not only in our attitudes and actions sometimes, but always. But Jesus did. He does have that righteousness. He did. And he does. (laughs) Paul says in Romans chapter three, verses 21 through 22. And this gives us some hope. Write this down. Uh, Romans chapter three, 21 through 22. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Verse 22 says the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets testify of that righteousness and Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets perfectly. And so how do we attain this righteousness that we cannot have? through faith in Jesus Christ, the one who did it all. That's it. Amazingly. We obtain righteousness through faith in Jesus. And now as born again, believers, what happens is when faith is put in Christ, when God leads us to salvation, to believe in Jesus Christ, he transforms us. He gives us his Holy spirit, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God, the Holy spirit, all one and the same come and fill our lives. And we are transformed. And now We keep in step. We learn to follow after Jesus Christ. We learn to love and obey him. His spirit teaches us day after day how to follow him. And so we're being transformed day after day, being made into the image of God. And so what happened on that day gets worked out through our life. And so he teaches us how to walk in righteousness because we've been made righteous, positionally righteous. And now we act it out. It's a beautiful transition. How many of you as believers are not who you were when you first believed? Amen. Praise God. How many of you have had tremendous victories in your life as Jesus Christ on that day saved you and has moved you forward? Amen. That is the testimony of Christ in us. And that is what's going on. And Jesus is. So while Jesus has a standard, he said, this is the standard. Don't mistake it. I'm not lowering the bar as we like to do so that everybody feels good about themselves. No, like it's, we're all sunk. You know, again, I give the analogy of the, the grand Canyon. Some of us are going to try to jump across it. If we're all having a running and jumping across the grand Canyon contest, you know, some of us are going to jump a little further than others. Right. But I'm going to trip on a rock and just stumble off the edge. You know, <laughs> some of us want, will drop dead before we even get there. Anyone else? Amen. <laughs> it's, We're not going to make it. That's the standard. But nevertheless, it's a righteous and good standard. And Jesus Christ made the leap that we could not make. And so while we're reading this and we're holding to the standard, we also realize that we can't keep it. And yet Christ in us wants to fulfill these things. And he will, as we submit to him and keep in step with the spirit. Amen. Amen. He will do in us what we cannot do ourselves. 
And so we left off last week in verses 21 through 26, where the Pharisees had emphasized the act of not murdering being the fulfillment of the law of God. When God said, do not murder. I have not murdered check. Yes, I'm right with God. We saw Jesus open up our understanding. It's not just murder. It's what leads to murder anger in your heart towards your brother slash countryman slash neighbor. Amen. And so Understanding the scribes and the uh, under the scribes and the Pharisees, the interpretation of the law, one could call themselves righteous because they had not acted out murder, but they were fooled because Jesus says, God requires that you not have murder in your heart and you will be judged for murder in your heart. It's worse than we think. And as we pick up this morning, Jesus has the same take on the law of God regarding adultery. Again, verse 27, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intention has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so Jesus here in 27, he, he quotes another of the 10 commandments, Exodus 2014. You shall not commit adultery. Exodus 2014, one of the 10 commandments, right? One of the big ones. And then in verse 27, Jesus on the heels of after, right? Just quoting that he goes, but I say unto you. And now when he says, but I say unto you, he's not saying that uh, forget about the 10 commandments. And this is, this is what I want you to understand. He's saying that they say that their interpretation, this is the implication is that they said, don't, don't, uh, don't commit adultery. But I'm telling you, don't commit adultery. And this is the intent of what God said. It stands and here's what it means. And that's what he's getting in there. They didn't give the the scribes and the Pharisees didn't give a full picture. It isn't just the act of being unfaithful to one's spouse that God condemned in the law. It is the heart that desires another other than your spouse that God condemned. That everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery within his heart. Jesus says that word lustful intent, by the way, it means to long for something, to desire something for um, in one's heart and one's in one's mind. Now in this conversation, Jesus is, he's speaking to men, right? He's speaking to his disciples who are men and the God given natural attraction for men is for women. That is God's natural inclination given in women for men. That's why there's married. That's why there's babies. That's all these types of things, right? I don't need to explain that. And God is, and God has designed marriage to be the place where a man and a woman committed to one another for life are free to express their love and attraction for one another in sex. That's it. God's designed marriage for the expression of sex, not only for that, but that is part of it. And God has designed marriage to be that place where a man and woman are lovingly sharing those affections towards one another, but sex was never designed to be expressed or to be experienced outside of marriage. That is not God's design for it. It is not blessed outside of marriage. Marriage is where God has blessed sex. Clear. So speaking to the disciples who were men, they would be guilty of adultery before God, not just for the act of cheating on their wives. Not all of them were married. We know Peter was married and some of the others were married, but not just for the act of cheating on their wives, which is obvious, but also if they had the desire for another in their heart, it's worse than you think. That's God's righteous requirement. 
And Jesus is speaking with men. Obviously this is not restricted to men. That's who he was talking to. That's the audience. So it's lust in general, mankind, men, women, lusting. Now, just for clarity, when the Bible speaks of adultery, I just want to lay down some terms here. It is having sexual relations with someone other than your spouse. That's sin before God. And obviously Jesus opens it up to having sexual intentions for someone else in your heart before God, that is adultery. But not only physically in another way, in in any other way, it's not just physical adultery. It's in, it's any other way. And to further clarify because of the days we live. And I have to clarify that when I talk about marriage, homosexual marriage is not marriage in God's eyes. It's a perversion of marriage. God who invented and designed marriage is it's to be strictly between a man and a woman. And by the way, I have to clarify again, to be clear, a biological man and a biological woman. Men can't have babies. Okay. Just want to clarify that our world is going insane. I have to. So there's a cultural context in what Jesus is talking and everybody would have understood what he's talking about. But today, because we've perverted the natural order so much, we can't even understand basic sentences anymore without all the stuff being thrown upon us. So a marriage as God designed it. And the only thing that is marriage is between a man and a woman, biological man and a biological woman. So, and also to be clear, God requires sexual purity, not only for married people, but for everybody, not just married couples. So if you're single, yes, it's God, God puts a natural attraction in people towards one another. That's how, one of the reasons why you find one another, but you are be careful because you're not married to that person, right? So you can't go to places you cannot go physically or mentally with them. Don't go there. Paul said, that's why Paul says in first Corinthians seven, eight through nine to the single person, to the unmarried and to the widows. I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Paul says, Hey man, the ideal for you is to remain single and to go serve God. You're going to have so much more freedom. You're going to be much more mobile. You're going to be able to do all the things that, that God would have you to do in, in that realm. If you're called to that, if you're able to do that, but he doesn't stop there. He says, but if they cannot exercise self-control, what do you think he's talking about? Yeah, they should marry for it is better to marry than to burn with passion, to burn with lust. He's saying, listen, you don't want to sin against God in this way. The way that God has designed the outlet for that is in marriage. That's a good thing. That is not the wisdom of God to get married for that reason alone. That's, that's not wise, right? <laughs> There's tons of reasons why you get married. That is one, that is one reason why. So I just want to clarify that. But the idea is to stay single and serve the Lord, but if they can't, here's the outlet, right? So there isn't sin against God, but back to the point, the religious leaders were interpreting that the command not to commit adultery as being just about the physical act on your spouse. It's just the physical act. Hey, I haven't cheated on my wife. Check. I'm right with God. Just like murder. I haven't murdered someone. Yay. But Jesus says, no, if you're looking at someone other than your spouse with sexual intentions, you are guilty of adultery before God. Pretty crazy, huh? You see, likewise, like with murder, it isn't just an external righteousness that God requires. It's an internal righteousness an internal 
right heart before God. And so Jesus says in verse 29, look at verse 29. He says, what do you do in response to this? Well, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Is there a couple words that are mentioned there twice? Yeah. Hell's an emphasis cutting off and your whole body and it's better than right now, before you go off gouging out your eyes, I hope someone didn't just stop right there and went, okay, I'm going to go before you gouge out your eyes and cut off your hands. Think about what Jesus is saying. How valuable are your eyes to you? How valuable are your hands to you? He's saying these are critical things to your life, right? They are so essential to your physical being that it would be better for you to gouge out your own eyes and live without them or cut off your hands and live without them than to remain whole and be cast into hell. He's saying hell is so much worse than living that way. And Jesus uses this kind of imagery. Unless you hate your mother and father, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. He's using drastic imagery, like going, I'm supposed to actually love my mother, honor my mother and father. What are you talking about, Jesus? Yeah, exactly. You've got to love me even more than you love them. Honor me more than you honor them. If you honor anyone else above me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. And Jesus is saying, if you aren't, if you don't understand that those who commit adultery are going to be cast into hell, and, and that hell is so bad, you're not going to be willing to take the steps necessary to surrender to me. So the Holy spirit is going to be convicting people. See that he, Jesus wants to keep the standard high because when he keeps the hand, standard high, the way it's intended, we all fall short of the glory of God. Amen. And when we all fall short of the glory of God, we realize we're all condemned to hell. And when we all are condemned to hell, we realize we need a savior. And Jesus is driving us to him because there's a righteousness that we need that is not within us. And he wants to give it to us. And he died to give it to us to redeem us. Amen. So we're in a world filled with murderers and adulterers and people who lust. Are we not? Yes. All have fallen short of the glory of God. You see, the true issue here is the heart. And Jesus says the person who commits adultery inside or outside is headed for hell. I'm not going to take a poll, but I suspect all have fallen short of the glory of God. There must be a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. You must be perfect. I hope it's weighing heavy on us. Cause that's what Jesus is doing. He's just wanting us to feel the weight of it because anytime Jesus wants to feel the weight of it, he wants to free us from it. Right? Yeah. And the good news is that God in his mercy and love desires to give us a purity that is his. Amen. A purity that comes from the purest of pure, the Lord himself living within us and us within him. And for those of us who are his, we have received this from the Lord. And now we are to, by faith, submit ourselves to him and let him train and teach us in the ways of righteousness. 
Amen. The spirit or the fruit of the spirit is love. And we know that another one is self-control, right? Amen. Listen, Jesus died not only to save us from the penalty of sin of God, but also from the power of sin. Amen. That's the glory of a cross. Jesus didn't just, just decide to save you from the pow- from the penalty of sin. Yes, Jesus did. Absolutely. We praise God and we remember him for that, but also the power, his life working in you now, oh, victory over sin, over anger in your heart, over lust in your heart, over, and he's going to fill in the blanks as we keep going. Amen. Not many amens this morning. I get it. said, if you keep in step with the spirit, there is no law against that Galatians. Now the world we live in, it is steeped in adultery and lust. Is it not? It is integrated in every single aspect of society. It's in everything, but we've been changed. Have we not? Or have we just a little reminder, Ephesians two, one through five, because guess what? This was our home at one time. Anyone else? We operated in it. We were subject to it. We were guilty just like everybody else. But Ephesians two, one through five says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spear that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's what we were. We were once just part of the world, walking in the ways, doing what everybody did, the philosophies, the thoughts, everything that was part of it. We just, we just lived that way. Amen. Yeah. Under the power of the enemy, sons of disobedience, daughters of uh, disobedience. And verse three says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind. And we're by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We're all under the wrath of God. But guess what? He doesn't stop there. Verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved. Amen. Anyone going to say amen this morning? Amen. Yeah, we sing it, man. I'm amazed that the Lord would save a sinner like me. And guess what? There's a whole bunch of sinners out there. Do you ever know that? And there's some sinners in here. I know. And God, well, by his grace wants to redeem sinners. Amen. And you're witnesses of his grace. Let his power transform you in these areas. Let him change you and let your lives be the song and the witness and the words that sing to the world around us. Amen. Romans 12, two says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. Listen, don't be conformed, transform. The church isn't conformed to the world. We're not to look and do and do all that stuff. We've been taken out of the world. We're not to be weird. We're just sanctified and set apart and in process. And yes, it's messy, but you know, we don't want to lower the truth to try to, you know, to compromise the truth in order to reach people. Listen, the spirit of God is going to do what he's going to do. He's if, if the truth is ringing and, and it's living in our lives, hopefully The spirit's going to convict people. They might not like us for it, just like they didn't like Jesus, but we're not going to do it in a way that's mean, but we're going to be truthful and communicate these things. Amen. 
And, and by God's grace, he'll do what he did to us, to the people who are lost. And by the way, do we expect the world to act like Christians? We'd like it. But what do we expect? What are we expecting of the world? And we want them to be churched and, and, and to have the same morals and values and righteousness. They want, we want them to honor God. They don't because they're under the influence and the power of the enemy, just as we were. But by God's grace, he busted in. Amen. Amen. So be, let's be led by the spirit, not by the world. And in verse 31, Jesus brings up another teaching that the Pharisees had emphasized externally, but did not honor God with its intent. Let's go through this one. Verse 31. And it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual morality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus isn't holding anything back, is he? Now in verse 31, when it says, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Jesus is again, quoting Moses, not from the 10 commandments. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse one, where he's talking about how Moses permits people to divorce. He permitted the Israelites to divorce. It says this in 24, one, it says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she, if then she finds uh if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out on his house. And she departs out of his house and he keeps going and she marries another person. And that guy doesn't like her. And it starts talking about the story. But the idea here is that the, 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 the key thing that all the Pharisees were looking back on, what does it mean by finding an indecency in her? How do you interpret that? Because those are the grounds for divorce under the law of Moses. Okay. Under the law of Moses, if you're an Israelite, right? So, so everybody's wondering, well, I want to divorce my wife. And so let's go, let's go to the legal people of the, of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees. Let's find out if I can get out of this. Well, there's a couple different schools of thoughts of, of thought there. Just like God's law regarding murder and adultery, the religious leaders had their own interpretations about divorce. In Jesus' day, there's two major interpretations uh, about divorce and, and about what it meant by finding some indecency. Or one, one was by a rabbi named Shammai, and he said the indecency had to do with sexual morality and adultery, period. That when they became married and, 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 and the man found out his wife was not a virgin, because everybody was a virgin in those days, hopefully, right? It was a pretty chaste society. Then he could divorce her. Now, legally, if you're Jewish, you're kind of bound by marriage when you get engaged. Okay. So that's, that's why in Jesus's uh, situation with Joseph and Mary, they were engaged and it said that he was going to divorce her and put her away quietly. Well, like you weren't married yet. What are you talking about? Well, legally, when you enter into engagement, you're, you're, you're as good to go. Uh, so obviously that first interpretation was, it was a strict literal interpretation of what it was saying. Adultery. If you find out that she's either cheated on you or that she wasn't a virgin when you got married, you could divorce her. Okay. And the other interpretation regarding that indecent, what indecency meant was by a rabbi named Hallel. And he said that finding indecency in, 
indecency in her meant that if she didn't dress the way he liked or was a brawling woman, meaning you could hear her voice from next door and didn't fix meals he liked, then divorce was permitted. Now, obviously that was a liberal interpretation. So, you know, it took, it took a lot of, yeah. Well, guess which interpretation was the popular one? (laughs) The one that says, do whatever you want. Ring a bell in society. Not the more conservative one, not saying conservatives is right. I don't want to get into all that, but it's, it's, it's human tendency to, to like the law that says to go to the parent that says, Oh yeah, go ahead and do it. Right. Instead of the one that says, you really need to think about this, hold this, be careful. There's issues. And so, yeah, the self-centered one rolled out. And so Jesus clarified that divorce is not permitted except for on the grounds of sexual morality or adultery. The scribes and Pharisees and others had made divorce a convenient option. It's a convenient option. But Jesus said, when you divorce for other reasons, all those other reasons, it causes your wife to commit adultery. It causes your wife to commit adultery. Why would it cause her to commit adultery? If, if you gave her a certificate of divorce, because guess what? You're still married. Wait a second. I gave her a certificate of divorce and this is Jesus's point. You're still married in God's eyes. The implication is that the guy gave her papers and she moved on and she got married again. But Jesus said, you're still married. I hope this hurts. I hope that marriage, like we really start to take it seriously as a church and in society. And Jesus said, by the way, the man who married her also is committing adultery because he's with a married woman. I hope this is like confusing too. Like Albert's bringing up a lot of, Oh no, what if how, like how does my life square with what Jesus said? Right. That's God's intention. He's going to go, this is my standard. And this is what everybody's doing. Makes sense. And I hope, you know, before you run away, there's a giant cross at the end. Amen. Just want you to know that there's a giant cross because sin happens to us all and it's all messy and I'm not undermining and I'm not saying in life gets complicated and there's marriage and divorce, and all this type of stuff. There's circumstances that are really complex. I totally get it. And God understands that he sent Jesus to die for our mess. Amen. But nevertheless, Jesus is saying, this is what I'm talking, talking to you about. These guys are just saying, oh yeah, get divorced because, you know, she burnt your, you know, whatever. Oh, he goes hunting too much or, you know, he does this or that, or I just don't want to be with him anymore. It doesn't make me feel, oh, she doesn't, you know, just see you later. Get divorced. Just, just move on. Pack your bags. Go. It's okay. Because it says you found an indecency in her. Right? pretty convenient for the guys. By the way, that's how a dowry came about because back in the early days, their women couldn't get divorced in the old Testament. They didn't have the power of divorce there. 
And so they would, the fathers would require a dowry to be given to them in case that happened, that she would have something to fall back upon. So in Mark's gospel, chapter 10, another teaching on divorce. You want to flip over there. Chapter 10, I'll kind of skirt through it here. There's a few different places that Jesus is questioned about this stuff. But in Mark chapter 10, it's just starting in probably verse six, but I'll just paraphrase the first few verses. Jesus was challenged by a Pharisee on divorce. Okay. One of these legal guys, one of the religious leaders, he comes up to Jesus and he challenged them to divorce. Is it legal for divorce? Now he knows that there's these two major views out there and he wants Jesus to side on one of them, therefore dividing the people. And so Jesus goes, what does the law of Moses say? And he basically said, you know, verse six from the, well, before that he goes, yeah, he permitted divorce because of the hardness of your heart. God made an exception because of the hardness of your heart. And perhaps murder was in view here. That something worse would happen if not given an outlet in an unlivable situation. I'm serious. Perhaps murder was in view. So in Mark's gospel in verse six, Jesus then bypasses all the politics and he goes back to God's intent for marriage. Here's God's intent for marriage. Here's God's design. Uh, Mark uh, chapter 10, verse six, he says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them what male and female distinct male and female. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become what one flesh. And so they are no longer two, but they're what one flesh. (laughs) And then verse nine is the key indicator. What does it say? Key thing to underline what therefore God has what? God has joined. God has joined. Let no man separate. When I do marriage, marriage counseling, I try to scare people as much as possible because when you're in, you're in God is joining you together. You're together. It's you two. God has made you one. And it's has super incredible, awesome potential. And it also has super incredible, horrible. Yeah. But we have to get this to know what Jesus is driving about. What's God's view of marriage. Forget about our view of marriage. What's God's view of marriage. It's God taking two people and putting them together. God puts them together. So when does God separate people when they're married? When does that happen? And who does that? God, God takes you and he separates the bond and you're no longer married. It's God putting you together. God taking you apart. Now you're going, well, that's not how it works out. I know, but this is God's intention. This is God's design. This is what God meant by marriage. This is what his purpose was in it. Right? And so just like God's view of murder is not just the physical act, just like adultery is not just the physical act. So marriage is not just a legal contract that can be broken. See the pattern there. There is something that God has done to join a man and a woman. And you just can't separate what God has put together because you give someone a legal piece of paper. That's why he says you give the piece of paper and they go out and get married they're committing adultery because they're not unmarried. 
because I put them together. I hope that complicates things for us. And, and I hope it drives us to God and, and, and makes us go, man. Now, marriage is more than a legal contract. I'm going to get into that for a second. I'll come back to that point. But marriage is more than a legal contract. It's something that God has designed. Two individuals, male and female, made in his image, becoming one. He makes them one flesh. And by the way, that picture is not just for us. It is a picture of God and his unity. It's eternal. It's inseparable. And then the other thing is it's a picture of Christ in the church. Read that in Ephesians chapter five. That when Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He means it pretty cool, huh? Yeah. Amen. And so marriage is a serious deal to God. It's not to be taken lightly. You just don't get divorced because you don't like something about the other person, right? Or something that drives you nuts. Those are opportunities to grow. And I understand the reasons get more serious. And like us, the disciples lived in a world where people were getting divorced and the religious leaders were allowing this. Look at Mark 10, 10, just keep reading. They had more questions. It says, and in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter, meaning about all this divorce stuff. They're like, "Uh, can you tell us more? We do not understand what you're talking about. Can you make it real clear for us? And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Period. This is the same thing Jesus is saying back in Matthew five to divorce for reasons other than adultery. God has some serious things to say about that. Now, I know things are complicated and, but we need to look at this from God's perspective this morning instead of our own. That's the important part. You see, mankind is we're often looking for excuses on how to get out of what God requires. Aren't we? We try to justify tons of things. And we do it within marriage. While God does permit divorce, it goes against his purpose. It goes against his intent. It goes against his design. It goes against what he would want and long and desire for you to experience in his goodness. God's intent and design is a lifelong inseparable unity in love, not division and hate. That's God's intent for marriage. And by, and by the way, it's a picture again of the unity of Christ. So the scribes and Pharisees, they had taken the provision for divorce of God given through Moses because of the hardness of their hearts. And they turned it into some kind of get out of marriage free card. If someone is telling you to get out of marriage, you really need to take good counsel. There has to be certain reasons for that. And I, and let me say also, if you're getting hit in the face, that doesn't mean you stay in that situation. Stay in, if you're getting abused and raped and all that kind of stuff, listen, He doesn't say sit there and take and get punched. That's not what we're talking about. Okay. So don't think that that's, that's the teaching from, from the Lord. Amen. Everybody hear that? This is not a other sided thing. Like you just got to grin and bear it and get hit in the face. No, like there's There's obviously you use wisdom and call the cops and get separated physically in those situations. And, May God get counsel, let God work. But Jesus's point is it's not a get out of marriage card. 
you don't understand marriage. You don't see that it's God's design and you can't arbitrarily dissolve what God has put together. That's the point. Now, remember Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the, of, of the scribes and Pharisees, you're not entering the kingdom of heaven. How do we view marriage? Right? How do we view divorce? How do we view adultery and lust and all these things? You know, many who have been married and divorced and remarried and sometimes multiple times have experienced this. It hits home. It hits home here. Amen. How many of you have been a part of that? You don't need to raise your hand, but you know, it hits, it hits us all. You know, I think of the woman at the well when Jesus went up to her and he starts talking to her and goes, Hey, uh, where's your husband? Go call your husband. And she's like, uh, I don't have a husband. She's all right. He's all right. You've actually had how many husbands? Five husbands. The one you're with now is not. He called it like it was. And she went away and she got, and he reached her and he talked to her and he ministered. And she walked away believing that he was the Christ. And we're going to, we're going to see her in heaven. Amen. <laughs> like he's in the middle of our messes. Amen. And, and he definitely went out of his way into Samaria to, to, to minister to this woman who then became a witness of him in that area. So God is, God is all about forgiveness and grace, but believe me, I, I fully understand that marriage and divorce and remarriage, it gets complicated in many regards and people who love God want to know to, what to do in these situations. And by the way, Paul goes into a lot of teachings about, you know, like in first Corinthians chapter seven, about what happens in certain scenarios. What if you're married to a, non, a non-believer, you became a believer. Now you're both now one's a believer, one's not. And the other one wants to leave you. What happens in that situation? What happens if someone dies? Who can I remarry? All this stuff. Paul starts talking about all these questions like first Corinthians seven. You've got it in Ephesians chapter five. You've got all these teachings, but this is not that sermon. Okay. So I just, I'm, I'm being very narrow in what I'm talking about here because what Jesus is zeroing in here on Matthew five is that God's design standard for marriage stands. And these religious leaders through their selfish interpretation of the law were promoting and permitting people to get divorced illegitimately for selfish reasons. And as a result, now people were out there committing adultery knowingly or unknowingly. Jesus says, these guys are, they don't, they don't have the intent of what God designed. So I want us to walk away with the intent. So Jesus says to the disciples, you hear what these guys taught regarding marriage and divorce. You don't ease God's standards. Amen. It's not just a legal contract that can be dissolved. So I know many of you have experienced divorce and remarriage. And, and again, uh, it's a very sensitive, sensitive and deep subject. I come from a divorced home. I've counseled and been with people who have chosen to get divorced or have worked things out, all this stuff. I actually have been married for 21 years. Um, I understand the complexities of that. And because what Jesus said is likely to bring up sin and failure from the past in us all. And I want to be sensitive towards that because I mean, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. I'm not minimizing it, but this stuff has affected us all. And some are justified reasons and some are not. Listen, don't squirm away from it. You know, and so if you're convicted over this, any by the spirit of God, whether it be the adultery, the lust, the divorce, the anger, whatever it may be, I want to encourage you to do this. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Amen. Guys, 
He's it. Run to him. If your heart is feeling condemned and convicted or whatever you've done, and I could have done something better, run to Jesus. Jesus isn't doing, isn't bringing up this stuff to push people away. He's again, he's bringing it up to bring you to him. The righteous one. The one who forgives and bled out and died for you, not only to give you grace in this life, but in the ages to come. Amen. So confess your sins, your regrets, your failures to him. Repent of wrong attitudes and wrong beliefs and wrongdoings and things you've said and, and all that kind of stuff. Turn from it, confess it to him, give it to him. And remember that he is faithful to cleanse you and forgive you of all unrighteousness. Our job is to confess to the great savior and his role and his power and his might is to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. And when he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, guess what we're cleansed from all unrighteousness and leave it at the cross. When the enemy keeps bringing it up and bringing it back to you, remind him of the cross. Just quickly go back to the Lord. Say, hey, Lord, deal with this. Thank you for saving me. Amen. So run to Jesus. He's your righteousness. Cast your burdens on him. Leave it at the cross. Let him unburden your heart. And he cares for me. And secondly, I would say there's a lot of scenarios to consider here, but consider reconciliation. I think reconciliation is important. I know that's complex, but pray through that. Ask for forgiveness of people, all that kind of stuff. Um, Obviously you're not leaving your current marriage to go get married to your first person. That's not what we're talking about, but forgiveness. Okay. It's important. Just be sensitive to the Holy spirit on this and do not do this apart from talking with your current spouse. Right. But the other thing I wanted to encourage you in really mainly is in considering all this, the things the Holy spirit would teach you about himself. The scriptures have a lot to say about all this. They have a lot to say about reconciliation. They have a lot to say about restoration. They have a lot to say about marriage and remarriage and, and all this stuff. God, God's got things to say on this. You don't need ungodly counsel in these scenarios. <laughs> you need God's word in the middle of your life and in the middle of your thinking in all of this. Again, Paul talks about things like when you're married to a non-believer, what happens when your spouse dies, remarrying and so forth. So study and grow and, and be a student in this. Amen. God will grow you. And quite often in our discomfort, it leads us to grow. How many of you felt totally inadequate in an area of your life and it spurred you on to grow and you actually became quite changed in that area? Anyone? Yeah. The irritation can oft, often cause a wonderful growth in your life. Let the Lord do that. Thirdly, this is on the heels of that. Get godly counsel. Get godly counsel. Not worldly wisdom. As a child of God, you need God's word and wisdom in the middle of your circumstances. I said that, but you don't need Hillel's teaching. You don't need the person in your life that's saying, oh yeah, get rid of them. They're annoying. No matter how, how what, a, what a fun friend they are or whatever counselor that is, you don't need that person in your life. You want someone who's going to say, this is God's standard. And boy, we're falling short here. And let's, let's do some changes. Let's pray. Let's go through this and seek godly counsel in the midst of things. Amen. Again, I, I want to extend my heart to you and the elders and I are here for you in these circumstances. It's complex. I just, we're here for you. 
like we, we don't have all wisdom, but God's, God's put us in this position to help shepherd the flock. And I feel like one of the things the church does, and I don't know why this is, but you, we go to like everywhere else. Like we're here for you. Come, come to us, talk through these things. Let us encourage you. I know you want to keep it private and you know, no one will know about this and, and, and you can go in your counselor and all that kind of stuff. But quite often it's just worldly wisdom. Just want to encourage you that we're here for you. And, you know, between us three, we've have what, like 75 years of marriage probably or more. We had, Gary, it would have been over a century and a half, probably, you know, Gary and Susie, the Jedi's, you know, but let us, let us love you and walk with you in these things. You know, we're not perfect. And we have godly wives who keep us in check. Amen. And who teach us as well. And we encourage them. But what I'm saying is there's a lot of godly men and women, not only in the eldership, but in this flock who've been through things, who've failed a lot, who've gone through hard things and, and would have done it differently. Um, had they had the maturity they had now, but they're available to you and they love you. Godly women for some of you ladies are struggling. Godly men for some of you men who need help in these areas. Amen. They're here for you. This is how the body of Christ encouraged God put gifts in the body. He put the redeemed together, man. We are just all people who are, have been blessed by God's grace. Amen. And, and, and we're here to take those experiences and those things that God has taught us and led us in to encourage and build up one another and let us do that for one another. Amen. Yeah. With that, you know, May the Lord encourage your hearts and, and remind you that, man, he is our righteousness. He is your righteousness. And don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. Amen. Because for every nasty, gnarly sin and intent, there is a giant drop of blood that dropped. Amen. So to speak, he was nailed viciously to that cross and he knew exactly what he was doing and who he was doing it for and what had happened and why it happened. And he didn't do all that to push you at arm's length. He came to draw you near. Amen. Run to him. Father, thank you so much for your grace and for your truth. Thank you for your love that poured out for us. Lord, may we be a transformed church, God. Transformed because of the love and grace of Jesus Christ. So forgive us for our sin, God. And I pray that as we have questions, Lord, we would run to you and, and seek your counsel. Keep the enemy at bay, Lord. In your Holy Spirit, Lord, may we step in, keep in step with you. It's in your name we pray. To your glory. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Go encourage one another. Amen.